Hey guys, this is David. We wanted to let you know about an exciting opportunity we don't want you to miss out on. We are hosting our annual Awaken Conference Labor Day weekend in Dallas, Texas. Join 4,000 other young adults from all over the country and world to be a part of seeing an awakening of the hope of the world, which is the church of Jesus in our generation. Go to theporch.live to get a ticket before they sell out. Hope to see you at Awaken 2022. porch how we doing tonight hey my name is Timothy Atik and I'm a teaching pastor here at Watermark Community Church and I am so honored that I get to jump in and spend time with you guys tonight here at the porch I, I firmly believe that there is nothing better that you could be doing on a Tuesday night than being right here with friends worshiping Jesus so welcome I'm so glad that you made it and I'm glad we get some time together tonight Here's what I want to ask you to do right now. I want to ask you to pull out your phone, and I want to ask you to text a response to a number, and I'm going to see your response in real time up here. So this could go terribly wrong. I'm just going to acknowledge that from the beginning. This could be the first and last time I ever do this, but it's worth the risk. We'll see what happens. I just want to know, in your opinion, who is the GOAT? The greatest of all time. I'm not going to put any parameters on it. I'm not going to tell you that we're talking about a sport or we're talking about an actor or actor. No, we're not. In your opinion, who is the GOAT? Text 972-497-1185. Text your answer in and I will uh, see what what your answers are. You can share your answer with your neighbor, too. All right, who who you say is the GOAT? So I'll just read some of the responses that are coming in. I most certainly will not be able to share every response that has come in, but I'll just share some of them. Uh, Simone Biles, Michael Jordan... LeBron James, interesting how that works. Uh, Elon Musk. Uh, My grandma, okay, that's great, good for you. Uh, Bieber. Tom Brady. Dirk. Uh, Phil Wickham, okay, that's great, nice. Go with the Christian answer. Way to go there. Michael Scott. That's valid. Another LeBron, another Jordan. A lot of Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes. Anyway, Taylor Swift, of course. I was waiting for it. There she is. Tiger Woods made the list. Messi made the list. 
Okay, interesting. Anyone else that is worth mentioning? Aaron Rodgers, okay, interesting. Here in Dallas, okay. Nick Saban, another Michael Jordan, lots of Jordans. Taylor Swift in there again. Okay, so that's who you, would, you might say is the GOAT. If you feel like you got left out because your response wasn't read, you can just take a minute, share with your neighbor, say, he didn't read my response, but the real GOAT is... Just tell them real quick. Just share them. Okay, great. Good. Everyone feel like you got it out of your system. You have had the chance to share who you believe is the goat. Great. Awesome. Well, the reason that I even start that way is here's the deal. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus Christ actually chimes in on the conversation about the goat. I don't know if you know that, but in the Bible, Jesus Christ actually weighs in on the conversation. Before we have even had the conversation about who the goat is, Jesus actually started the conversation and declared who he believed the goat actually was. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, that's everyone, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Did you know Jesus said that? So if, if you grew up in the church and you get asked who's the goat, you know that the right answer to every question when you're inside the church walls is what? Jesus. Okay, so we would, it's important that we acknowledge that we believe here at Watermark Community Church that Jesus actually is the goat, that he is the greatest of all time. But it's interesting to think that the person that we believe is the goat actually chimed in and said, in my opinion, the greatest of all time, the greatest to ever be born of a woman, which is everyone, in Jesus' opinion, is a guy named John the Baptist. And I just find that interesting, and I find that worthy of examination. Because if Jesus, the person that we might look at and say he's the goat, if he's pointing at someone saying, you know what, he's the goat, then I just think that that's important because here we have Jesus saying this is what a truly great life looks like. And so for us to look at someone that Jesus would say is living or lived a truly great life, that is something that is worthy of exploration and examination. And the reason that I think it's so important for us in a room full of young adults to do that is because I believe that every single person here is pursuing greatness. Like, nobody here is aspiring to mediocrity. Like, nobody here, if I was like, scale of one to ten, like, where do you hope to land in terms of enjoyment of life? No one's like, I'll take a four. No, like no one wants to settle for mediocrity. No one is like, you know what, TA, that's what people call me, TA. Uh, you know what, I, my goal was to go to a mediocre college and make mediocre grades and graduate with a mediocre degree and, and I searched and found a mediocre job and now I'm looking for a mediocre spouse and hopefully one day we're gonna have a mediocre marriage and a mediocre house and definitely some mediocre kids and I wanna grow old and be a mediocre grandparent and have a mediocre funeral. Nobody <laughs> aspires to mediocrity. Everybody wants greatness in some way. And so the question is, what does it look like to be great in the eyes of Jesus? Because what a shame it would be to be great in the eyes of man. 
but not great in the eyes of Jesus. When there is somebody in the scriptures that Jesus looks at and says, hey, if you wanna know what a great life looks like, there it is, John the Baptist. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna spend some time talking tonight about what true greatness looks like so that you don't spin your wheels carelessly and get to the end of your life and look back and say what I thought was great truly wasn't, okay? So if you have a Bible, I want you to join me tonight in John chapter one. John, the book of John, if you're new to the Bible, it's, uh, it's in the second half of your Bible. Don't be afraid to use the table of contents, but it's in what's called the New Testament. The New Testament starts with four books that are known as the Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We are looking at the very first chapter of John. There's many different Johns in the Bible. We are talking specifically about a guy named John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was a medical marvel because he was born to a set of parents that were way too old to have a child. Like his parents were old, wrinkly, and barren, and yet miraculously, at a really old age, his mom gets pregnant. And so he was a medical marvel and uh, he was relatives with Jesus. And what you need to know about John the Baptist is he was super hipster. Like he lived outside of town doing the hashtag van life thing. Uh, he had watched some documentaries, so he didn't eat meat. He ate bugs and honey for his you know, diet. Uh, if you don't think he was hipster, his clothes were made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his weight. Just wait, I promise you, camel hair, if it's not in now, wait a year. And just reference this talk and say, he called it, he was right. Camel hair, leather belt, just watch, it's coming. He took a vow to not cut his hair. He always said, that he, he always said what he was thinking. His life ended when he got arrested and was beheaded for calling out the Roman ruler for taking his brother's wife to be his wife. So that's who we're talking about, John the Baptist. And what you're going to see as we look at John the Baptist is we're going to see a life that Jesus considered to be great. And what I hope is clear to you tonight is this. Don't miss it. All eyes on me. The greatest lives are marked by the greatest clarity. Okay? The greatest lives are marked by the greatest clarity. The greatest lives are marked by the greatest clarity. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. The greatest lives have the greatest clarity when it comes to three things. So I hope that you don't miss them tonight. Here's the first one. First, greatness requires clarity on who you are and who you aren't. That's where greatness has to start. Greatness has to start with you having clarity on who you are and who you aren't. Like if you are someone who is still trying to find themselves or discover yourself, right now, you're not living in greatness because greatness requires clarity on who you are and who you aren't. So look with me at John chapter one and I'll show you what I'm talking about. It says this starting in verse 19. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. Do you see it? He has clarity. I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. 
what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So uh, all eyes on me, let me just make sure you understand what is happening right now in the first century. That's where John the Baptist shows up. In the first century, it was this time where there was this growing anticipation and excitement about a coming Messiah. At this time, the Jewish people were under Roman oppression, and so the Jews believed that there would be a Messiah, a Savior that would come and and would come as a ruling and conquering king who would establish political dominion and would overthrow oppressive Rome and establish a kingdom where Israel is the ruling kingdom. And so that's what the Jews believed. And so John the Baptist shows up and and Jews at the time, they're on the lookout for anyone suspicious that that they might see is the Messiah. And John the Baptist shows up wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, and he's not eating meat. He's eating honey and bugs, and he's living outside of town, and he's baptizing people. Now, when you hear that, you might think, well, what's the big deal? Christians baptize. Well, just remember, like Jesus has not come and died on the cross yet and risen from the dead. When we baptize people now in the church, we do it for people to identify themselves with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when we hear that John the Baptist is baptizing, that's not what is happening here. Baptism at this point in time was a way for Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, to. it was a purification ritual they would immersed themselves in water as a symbol that they were cleansing themselves as they entered the Jewish community. And this was a ritual that was normally performed by a priest in, a, in an important place. Well, John the Baptist shows up and instead of him watching people immerse themselves, he's dunking them and he's doing it outside of town in a river. And he's not baptizing Gentiles, he's actually baptizing Jews. So it's like John the Baptist is going to the people of God and saying, you think that you're God's people, but you're really not. You need to repent and I need to baptize you. And so people see that and they're like, okay. Like the equivalent of the Jewish Supreme Court gets together and they're like, we gotta, we gotta figure out who this guy is. So they send their minions and they go to John the Baptist, and that sets up what we just read. So they come to him, and they just begin to work down their checklist. So they start, and they're like, hey, are you the Christ? He's like, nope, wrong guy. Okay, Christ, it's the Greek word Christos. It corresponds with the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah or anointed one. So they're like, are you the one? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? We've been anticipating, and you're going to deliver us from room. He's like, nope, you got the wrong guy. So they moved down their list. Okay, well then, you gotta be Elijah. Elijah was an important figure in the Old Testament. And uh, and people believed that, um, you know, Elijah didn't die in the Old Testament. He was just carried off by a fiery chariot. And if you're new to the church, you're like, that sounds like a pretty great way to go. Like, how do you sign up for that? But in the last book of the Old Testament, 
it says that Elijah would come back. So they're like, okay, so are you Elijah? He's like, nope, not him either. They're like, okay, so I'll cross that name off the list. Okay, then you have to be the prophet. Okay, because Moses, all the way back, at the beginning of the Old Testament, he promised that a prophet would come. And, and we now know that that's a reference to Jesus. But people had begun to believe that it was a special end times figure separate from the Messiah. They're like, okay, then you have to be the prophet. And John's like, I'm not him either. Do you see it? John has clarity on who he is and who he isn't. He is, he's confident and clear. And after they work through their list, they're like, okay, well, then you just have to tell us who you are. And I love what he says. Look back at what he says when they finally ask him. Verse 22, they said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What did he say? He says, I'm the voice. I'm the voice of one crying out. So you think about a voice, a voice isn't something that you can see, it's only something that you can hear. So this is amazing because John the Baptist is so clear on who he is and who he isn't. He's saying, look, I'm not someone for you to look at or behold or be impressed by. I am someone that you should hear. And when you hear me, you should hear me pointing you to the one that you should actually fix your eyes and your hope on. I'm just the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, when, when kings would come to town, their, their route would be, would be planned out and people would go before them and would clear out any debris that would get in the way of the king arriving on time. And John the Baptist just, just saying, yeah, that's me. I'm not the king. I've just come to prepare the way for the king. He's clear on who he is and who he isn't. I wanna go back to what he initially said because that's the most fascinating part for me. Verse 20, he says, it says he confessed and did not deny but confessed. I am not the Christ. Talk about clarity. He says, I am not, I'm not the Christ. So just think, what was John saying when he declares he's not the Christ? There's so much packed into that. He's declaring, I'm not God. I'm not the one who can rescue. I'm not your long-awaited king. I'm not the one that all of history has been pointing to. I'm not the one you have been hoping for, waiting for, praying for. I don't deserve any of your worship. I can't change your life. I am just a man. That's what he's declaring when he declares, I'm not the Christ. That, that phrase has become really meaningful to me. Like when I was preparing for this message, I just found myself telling myself that, you know what, I'm not the Christ. You know what, T.A., you are not the Christ. And it was very freeing to just tell myself that because as I just reminded myself, look, I'm not the Christ. I can't change anyone's life. I'm just, I'm just a guy. I got clarity on who I was and who I wasn't. And as a teaching pastor here at Watermark, this is what I do on a weekly basis. So I want you to think about what I do. I stand on a stage with spotlights on me in a microphone in front of a crowd of a few thousand people. Where else is that happening in our city and in our world? Any other time that situation is happening, it's at a concert or at some event where the person on stage is there to win 
fame, and applause. And so if I'm not careful, I will make this moment all about me. And as I just meditated on the idea that I'm not the Christ, God brought clarity to who I am as someone who stands up here and teaches the Bible. I realized that all I am is a spiritual mailman. That's what I am. Like I'm a spiritual mailman. God has written a letter. This is called the Word of God, and he has written it to you and to me, and he's given me the responsibility of taking his letter and simply delivering it to you. But if I'm not careful, I will begin to care what you think about how I deliver God's mail. So I can begin to wonder, you know what, are you gonna post about how I delivered God's mail? Like, did you think that I handed you the letter in a really like cool and attractive and funny way? But here's the thing, like, when's the, the last time you got nervous or impressed by your regular mailman? Like, when was the last time that you're like, oh my gosh, it's 12.08, That's, he's coming, all right? And so like, you're like, like looking out the window and you see the truck and you're like, okay, all right, this is it, he's coming. And like when, when the mailman comes up, like you open the door real fast and you're like, hi. I really like how you deliver my mail. You changed my life. Can, uh, can we take a picture? Like, when's the last time you took a selfie with your mailman where you're like, oh my gosh, mailman, check it. Like, when's the last time? That's not, that's not a thing. But if I'm not careful, I'm gonna begin to care what you think about how I deliver God's mail. And so it's just good for me to remember, hey, I'm not the Christ. Like, I can't change your life, but the Word of God combined with the Spirit of God absolutely can. And so, you know what? The majority of people in the room will never be in the scenario that I'm in in terms of this. But I just wonder what it looks like for you to just realize, gain clarity on who you are and who you aren't. Like, can we just all say at the same time that we're not the Christ? Would you be willing to declare that real quick? Just try it. Just say it. I'm not the Christ. Say it again. Isn't that freeing? Is there anything freeing about that? Because here's the thing. Some of you guys are living like you are the Christ. You would never say that, but you are like Spider-Man trying to hold the bridge together for your friends. Like your, your friend right now who is struggling or depressed, you feel like it is on you to keep all of their life together or your parents are going through a divorce, or, or things are falling apart at work, and you feel like it is all on you and on your shoulders to hold your life and everyone else's life together. But here's the reality, you're not the Christ. You're not. That doesn't mean that you do nothing. It just means you do what you can. You do something, but you can't do everything. Or you know what? Like, you look on, you look on, social media and then you drown in insecurity because you constantly feel like you're failing because social media tells you that you're supposed to be a Christ. Like you're supposed to just always be 
amazing. You need to look amazing. You need to have an amazing figure. You need to be a perfect friend. You need to work 80 hours a week, but then you need to still at the same time always have time for amazing experiences with amazing friends, having amazing drinks at amazing places, and you need to take amazing pictures, and then you need to do amazing work at church, and everything has to be amazing. And the reality is you can't always and everything be amazing because you're not the Christ. And so what if you just, could you just allow the, the freedom to come of taking that weight off of your shoulders and putting it back on Jesus because his shoulders are strong enough to carry it. And so I tell you that just to say, like, are you clear? Because greatness requires clarity on who you are and who you aren't, okay? Second, greatness requires clarity on who Jesus is and who he isn't. The greatest lives have the greatest clarity. Greatness requires clarity on who Jesus is and who he isn't. Look back at the text. John chapter one, look at what it says in verse 24. It says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. That's important. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Did you see what he said? He says, there's one that comes after me. The reason that that statement is important was because in the first century, there was a superficial belief that if you were older than someone, then you were more worthy of honor. But John was technically older than Jesus. And John's point is, Jesus might have showed up after me, but make no mistake, I'm not even worthy to perform the task that was reserved for a slave. I'm not even worthy of that. See, Jesus' identity bred humility in John the Baptist. See, when you realize who Jesus is, it reminds you who you're not. And Jesus' identity breeds humility in you and in me. Do you have that type of clarity on, on who he is? John's saying, he came after me, but he ranks before me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, about Jesus, it says he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Watch this, that in everything he might be preeminent. Do you know what that word preeminent means? It means first place. It means that Jesus Christ takes first place. Sometimes we wanna act like Jesus is significant, but not preeminent. He's significant. You know what? He's a part of my life. Like, I've got a lot going on in my life right now. But he's still significant enough for me to carve out time on a Tuesday night for me to show up to the porch. No, Jesus isn't just significant. He's preeminent. First place. So that's clarity on on who he is and who he isn't. John goes on in verse 29. He says, it says, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist says, you wanna know who Jesus is? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're new to the Bible, that idea of Jesus being the Lamb of God, it's a reference to the Old Testament. If, if you're familiar with the story of the Exodus where the nation of Israel was in captivity to Egypt and then God sent Moses in to rescue them out, right before they left Egypt, they celebrated what was known as the Passover where God gave the command to slaughter a lamb and to take the blood and to paint it on the doorpost of their homes so that when the angel of death swept through the land, the angel of death would pass over the homes of the Israelites. And John the Baptist looks and says, Jesus is our Passover lamb. See, Jesus is the lamb that would be slaughtered for you and me. See, when Jesus Christ hung on a cross, that's what was happening. His blood was being shed for you and for me. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, like when you surrender your life, when you give your life to Jesus, you know what you're doing? You're painting the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorposts of your heart. So God's wrath now passes over you. And you, don't, you no longer come into his judgment. You can be received into his love, his acceptance and his approval. You actually are invited into his family. Why? Because you know Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. If you flip over real quick to John chapter three, I'll show you one more thing about Jesus. John chapter three, this is John the Baptist talking again. John the Baptist says this in verse 30. He says, he, that's Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Put that on a note on your mirror. Read that each day in the morning. He must increase, but I must decrease. He says this, verse 31. He, that's Jesus, who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who, he who comes from heaven is above all. Do you see that? Jesus is not like us. He came from heaven. We started here on earth and we're aiming to get to heaven. Jesus had always been in heaven and came to earth to rescue us, to take us to where he is. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, to this that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Watch this, the father loves the son, that's Jesus, and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you have clarity on who Jesus is and who he isn't? He's preeminent. He's the Lamb of God. And he is the one and only one who can give you eternal life. That's who he is. Do you have that type of clarity? I want to speak for a moment to those in the room who have been if you've been a Christian for a while, I'm especially talking to you right now because you might have just heard everything that I've said and you think to yourself, yeah, I have, I have clarity on all that. Maybe your theology is intact, but your intimacy with Jesus isn't. 
Here's what I want you to see. Flip back over to chapter one. I want, I want to point something out to you. Just look real quick at verse 31. It says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you, what's that next word? See the Spirit descend and remain. That, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, and I have what? Seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Do you see what John the Baptist is saying? He's saying, I've seen Jesus. I have seen, I've seen Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you have clarity on who he is and who he isn't theologically, but it's been a while since you've seen him and experienced him intimately. And so I tell you that just to say, like, I just want to ask you, like, when's the last time that you saw Jesus? When's the last time you saw him? Jesus, when he's on a boat with some friends, he's just fed 4,000 people and he gets onto a boat and his friends start complaining that they forgot to bring bread and Jesus had just, like, miraculously made a bunch of bread. And he's like, guys, do you have eyes and yet you still don't see so my question to you, if you've been a Christian for a while, is when's the last time you were captivated by the goodness of Jesus Christ? Because spiritual blindness is simply seeing Jesus without being captivated by his goodness or compelled to worship him. So when's the last time you were captivated by his goodness? Because maybe you're not living as if Jesus is preeminent because you really don't have practical clarity on who Jesus is and who he isn't. Maybe you have theological clarity. Your theology is intact, but practically you don't live as if he is who he is. And it's because you haven't seen him in a while. And the reason you haven't seen him is because you haven't taken time to sit with him until you see him. Let me ask you this. Like, have you ever met anyone whose marriage story, like you sit down with them and you're like, hey, so tell me how you met. Have you ever met anyone whose story was, well, you know what, we said hi to each other every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on campus, like we passed each other, we said hi, and we've been married for 30 plus years. Like, <laughs> that's not a story. Because you don't fall in love by just glancing at someone. You fall in love by gazing at someone. So like you, you take someone out. Some people are like, amen. Like, let's talk about that. This isn't a dating talk. Ask someone out. There, that's, that's it. That's the dating portion of this talk. But you sit down with someone and you f look at them with your eyes and you ask them questions to learn about who they are. And then you begin to see them. Like I used to work with college students, and so some of y'all were college students once, so maybe you worked at a camp, 
Anyone ever work at a camp? Maybe not many people. Some of you guys, you know. So there's camp romance. You know, you show up to camp and like, and something happens. Like you see a girl on the first day and, and you don't really think much of it, but then like you watch how she drinks from her Nalgene bottle and you watch how she wears her chacos and how she strings up her hammock. And like by the end of camp, you have seen her. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about gazing at Jesus until you see him and you're captivated by his beauty. See, we live in a world that wants to convince you that you can just live off of glances. And so the Christian world is trying to like shorten and expedite your time with Jesus. It's like, you know what? We've got apps for that. And like for just three minutes a day, here's this quick devotional. You just click play and you know what? You can do it double speed so they talk really fast and you can just get it done. But Jesus loves you too much to give you all of himself in three minutes. And yet you're like, I don't know why. I just feel so spiritually dry. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Well, let me... No date with my wife has ever gone well for just three minutes. It's like, okay, let's just get this done. Okay, like, here, here's what we're going to order, and let's just eat real fast, and let's just fill me in. Like that, uh, like that type of efficiency, it doesn't manufacture intimacy. Efficiency is the enemy of intimacy when it comes to Jesus. And so I tell you that. I tell you that because the joy is found in sitting with him until you see him. Because when you gaze at him, you begin to taste and see that he's good. And so I tell you that because true greatness, greatness requires clarity on who Jesus is and who he isn't. And some some of you need to get where you can see him so that you can get clear again on who he truly is. Finally, greatness requires clarity on what you were put on earth to do. Are you clear on that? Are you clear on what you were put on earth to do? I mean, that's probably a pretty big question for people in this life stage to be figuring out. Like, God, what did you put me on earth to do? Greatness requires clarity on what you were put on earth to do. Look back. John chapter one, let me just show you a few things real quick. Verse 29, again, it says this, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Skip down to verse 34. I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him saying this and what did they do? They followed Jesus. So here's what I want you to see, okay? John the Baptist saw Jesus and because he saw Jesus, he wanted other people to see Jesus. He sees Jesus and what does he say to his disciples? Behold the Lamb of God. And what do his disciples, the people that are following him, what do they do? 
They stop following him and start following Jesus. How backwards does that sound to us in 2022? Because 2022 is all about gaining followers, not losing followers. But John the Baptist didn't need to keep people. He was great at releasing people so that they could see what he had seen. And so I tell you that just to say, you know what? Until you see Jesus, you are going to live to be seen like Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Until you see Jesus, you're going to live to be seen like Jesus. You're going to want people to see you. You're going to want them to consider you someone who influences them as an influencer. You're going to want people to respect you and want to be around you and want to follow you and think that everything about you is amazing. Until you see Jesus, you're going to, be, you're going to live to be seen like Jesus. But when you see Jesus, you will want others to see Jesus. Several years ago, I developed this uh, interest in the Tour de France, which is a famous bike race. I would imagine the majority of people in here are like, what is that? Like, bike races aren't your thing. Uh, And I wouldn't say they're my thing. I'm just saying that I've developed an interest in the Tour de France. And the Tour de France is this couple thousand long mile bike race through France and it, it spans over 20 days and it's, it's, uh, it's teams competing against other teams. Like you can't win the Tour de France without a team. So teams will choose a leader they will choose a leader for their team and then the other team members will ride for that leader to win. And there's this terminology in bicycle racing, it's a French word known as the domestique. The domestique is the person who sacrifices their race for the race of the leader. So like if the leader on their team gets a flat tire, the domestique will ride up, will stop, give them their bike so that the leader can keep going and then the domestique will stay there with that bike and fix the tire. Like if the leader is thirsty and doesn't have any more water, the domestique will slow down and go to their team's car and then pedal back up to the leader, give them some water. If they're riding in wind, the domestique will get in front of the leader so that the leader can draft off of them. That person, the domestique, rides for someone else to win. But it's interesting, years ago, back before Lance Armstrong was busted for doping, there was, it, there was this moment where Lance Armstrong was riding for Team Astana, and there was also a guy on Team Astana named Alberto Contador. And both Lance Armstrong and Alberto Contador believed that they should be the appointed leader. And so there were these commercials that would come out, and it was like, do-do-do-do-do, Armstrong, do-do-do-do-do, Contador, who's it going to be? Who should be the leader of Team Astana? And it was like this competition, like, you know what? It's unsure who should ride for who. See, clarity on what you were put on earth to do comes with deciding who's going to ride for who. You're either going to believe that 
You exist for God or God exists for you. And so stepping into the point and purpose of your life is you stepping into a place where you say, Jesus Christ, you are the leader and I exist to ride for you. And Jesus, you already have won. You have already beat sin. You have already beat death. And yet I ride so that the world may know your victory, that this world may know that you, Jesus, have conquered sin and death to make us right with God. That's why you exist. I don't know if you've come to that realization yet, but you exist to know Jesus Christ and make him known. Francis Chan says this, the point of your life is to point to him. Whatever you are doing, God wants to be glorified because this whole thing is his. It's his movie, his world, his gift. A.W. Tozier says, if my fire is not large, it is yet real. And there may be those who can light their candle at its flame. He's saying that I have a fire in my bones for Jesus and I want people to come and light their candle off of that flame. I want to bring you back to Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus declared that John the Baptist was the goat. But what's interesting is how Jesus finishes that verse. Look back at it real quick. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Watch this. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's Jesus saying? Well, here's what he's saying. Don't miss what I'm telling you. He's saying John the Baptist was was the last person to do something really significant. John the Baptist came to say, the king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. But now we sit on the other side of the king coming. The king has come. The king has conquered Satan's sin and death. And so while John the Baptist never got to see that, we have. And Jesus says, that's what makes you great, is when you come to a place where you say, I've seen the King. I've seen King Jesus. And I've realized that he conquered sin for me. He got on the cross for me. He rose from the dead for me. Jesus came so that I may have life. Jesus says, that's true greatness. True greatness is found in knowing Jesus. Do you know him? If you do know him, would you realize tonight you're not the Christ, but you've been made for a relationship with him? Would you get where you can see him? Would you gaze at him? And would you begin to live a life that doesn't say, look at me? Would you live a life that declares, look at him? Let's pray together. And let me just ask, if you're here tonight and you're seeing Jesus clearly for the first time, like you've just gotten clarity for the first time, on who he is, that he is the king that was crucified, 
that he died for your sins. He was buried for your sins. He rose from the dead, conquering your sins. So when you put your trust in him, forgiveness comes and you're made right with a perfect God. If that's you, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus right now, would you just in the quietness of your own heart, would you just say these words? Would you say, Jesus Christ, come into my life tonight? Just tell him, say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you begin to lead me in a new life with you as my Savior and as my King? If that's you, if you just invited Christ in your life, welcome to the family of God. Would you tell someone tonight so that they can celebrate with you? And if you're here tonight and you already knew Jesus, would you sit with him even now? Would you gaze at him now? And would you ask him to use you to put him on display to the world around you? Jesus, we need you and we love you. We thank you for your love for us. God, may we be people who are clear on who we are and who we aren't. May we be clear on who you are and who you aren't. And may we be clear, Lord God, may this room be 3,000 strong of people who go out with great clarity on what they have been put on earth to do. In Jesus' name, amen.